Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. What is this? There's people out here. (laughs) It's so good to see everyone. Good morning. I've waited a long time for this. So this morning, I begin today's scripture with a question. To what authority do you turn when considering the origins of humanity? If you turn to scripture to validate the authority of Bible over science, today's verse might not be your first choice. It comes to us from 1 Corinthians 15, 39. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. Edward O. Wilson is an American biologist and the world's leading authority on, wait for it, ants. (laughs) He offers us this. Theology made no provision for evolution. The biblical authors had missed the most important revelation of all. Could it be that they were not really privy to the thoughts of God? Hmm. Jenga. If you've played the game, it can be exciting and frustrating at the same time. It takes a steady hand, nerves of steel, to be able to reach in and pull out a piece. To make certain that when you pull the piece, you leave the rest of the structure standing. The more pieces that are removed, the more challenging it is that you will leave this standing erect. That's the challenge of Jenga. Today, I think we can use the game Jenga as a perfect example of our Christian beliefs. For many of us, this is how we perceive our religious beliefs. It's a structure that is well-built. It's a structure that is solid. It's a structure that is best left alone. And if we're honest, we will have to admit that at the very bottom of our system of beliefs resides the Bible. It's the foundation upon which the vast majority of Christian beliefs are said to originate. But then along comes evolution. And when evolution comes along, we have to decide the impact it has upon our Christian beliefs. Will what we currently have remain standing? Today, because of time, I'm only going to share with you three possibilities of the impact upon evolution, upon our Christian beliefs, and in particular, upon the Bible. 
When Charles Darwin shared with the rest of the world his theory, it automatically changed things dramatically, in particular for Christians. And more specifically, for the Bible. So, what's that first one that we're going to be looking at? The first one says that the Bible and evolution in no way are compatible. They just don't fit. And no matter how hard you make it work, it's not going to happen. And in particular, if you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it has the world being created in six days, six 24-hour periods of time. The species that are created are the same species that exist today. Little, if any, modification. Human beings that we see today are the same as Adam and Eve. This is what is called young earth creationism. The world is only about six to 10,000 years old, according to this theory. And because the Bible is seen as being revealed by God, God is seen as not being one who would mislead us. Therefore, the Bible is seen as being inerrant, infallible, completely true, historically accurate. And so if evolution wants to come along and mess up with our Christian belief structure, no, we're not going to let it happen. Listen to what one individual shared when he said about the evolutionary theory and the the chance it has of destroying our Christian beliefs. The evolutionary hypothesis carried to its logical conclusion disputes every vital truth of the Bible. Its tendency, natural if not inevitable, is to lead those who truly accept it first to agnosticism, then atheism. The theory of evolution is seen as a plot by atheists to create doubts in the minds of Christians. And then once those doubts are created, to slowly pull away one piece at a time until the whole thing crumbles and we all have become secular. Now, some of you may say, well, that's far-fetched. But there is one individual who didn't believe that to be the case. His name was Kurt Wise. When all the other little kids in his classroom in elementary school, when they were thinking about becoming firemen and policemen and doctors and lawyers, he was thinking about becoming a scientist. As he got older, he realized that in order to do that, he needed to attend one of the best schools in America. He wanted to get his PhD eventually, and so he could go out and teach science, the love of his life. 
to other individuals. So he went to Harvard, and he began to take his classes on the undergraduate level and then the graduate level, and finally at his doctoral level. And the longer he took these classes, he realized that what he was learning was slowly pulling out these different pieces of his belief system. And it began to frighten him. So he decided to run a little experiment of his own. He took his Bible and a pair of scissors. And he began, as he was reading the Bible, to cut out anything in the Bible that disagreed with the science worldview that he was being taught. Snip, snip. Snip, snip. At the very end, when he held up the Bible, he had basically nothing left. And this is what he said. I had to make a decision between evolution and Scripture. Either the Scripture was true and evolution was wrong, or evolution was true and I must toss out the Bible. It was there that night that I accepted the Word of God and rejected all that would ever counter it, including evolution. With that, in great sorrow, I tossed into the fire all my dreams and hopes of science. And so there are those individuals within Christianity who truly believe that evolution and Christian beliefs as founded on the Bible cannot coexist. That's one particular way. There's another group that comes along, and they are a little bit more accommodating. These are individuals who look at the evidence of evolution and say, man, you just can't ignore it. And they remember in their minds how when the Industrial Revolution took place, that people begin to mine and to, deep, to dig deep into the soil for canals. And all of a sudden, they realized that all these different stratas were within the earth. And they begin to realize that that was evidence they could not ignore. And so instead of seeing the earth as young as six to 10,000 years old, instead, they accepted that the earth was older. They, along with evolution, believed that the world was 4.6 billion years old. They accepted partially the idea of evolution. They allowed for the possibility that over that span of billions of years, there were plants, 
and various types of animals that continued to evolve. But as they continued to evolve, there came a point in this evolution where God steps in. And it is at that moment that God creates humanity. And humanity is different than any other species that had existed up to that point. So this idea that somehow we came from the ocean and evolved through chimpanzees and became human beings, they would say, no, 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 no. Evolution to a point is true, but there's a cutoff, and then God steps in, creates humanity, creates humanity in God's image, the prize, the apex of the world. And humanity is unlike anything else that had preexisted. So by accommodating evolution, they allowed for somehow the Bible to continue to have authority. It's what is called the old earth creation view. But in that same camp, there was another individual who came along and said, no, that, isn't, that doesn't make sense. His name was Francis Collins. Francis Collins, if you get online and look up BioLogos, you will discover his beliefs. He tends to lean in the camp of what is called intelligent design. And next week, we will be talking about evolution and the design of humanity. What role is God play in the design of our world? But Francis Collins believed that there's different ways to read the Bible. That we shouldn't read the Bible the same all the way through. And rather than me trying to explain to you his ideas, let me share with you what he says. There are clearly, notice the word, there are clearly parts of the Bible that are written as eyewitness accounts of historical events. That's so important, you can't miss that part. That in the Bible, there are eyewitness accounts of historical events, including much of the New Testament. For a believer, the events recorded in these sections ought to be taken as the writer intended, as descriptions of observed, ready for the word, facts. But other parts of the Bible, such as, you're not going to be surprised, the first few chapters of Genesis, the book of Job, the Song of Solomon, and the Psalms have a more lyrical and allegorical flavor and do not generally seem to carry the marks of pure historical narrative. So what is Francis Collins saying? He is stating 
that there's really not a conflict between evolution and the Bible because there's parts of the Bible that were never intended to be read literally. So for the Christians that see a conflict between Genesis 1 and 2 and a literal six-day creation, well, they're missing the boat, according to Collins. Because Genesis 1 and 2 was never meant to be read as literal. Why? Because there was not an eyewitness to tell us that it was a historical fact. Now, that's interesting perspective. But it's a perspective that opens up a whole can of worms. I mean, first of all, how do you know the eyewitness account was authentic? People in the New Testament, around the life of Jesus, those people were not writing down diaries. They weren't keeping journals about Jesus' life. At the end of each day, they didn't sit there and write down, Jesus said this, and Jesus did this. It was only until after he had died that they began to orally share stories with each other. But what this view says is that the eyewitness accounts were re revealing historical truths. And if you've ever played the tele, you've heard this before, if you've ever played the telephone game, you, you know what happens. So as these stories were passed on from one individual to the next generation, to the next generation, if you're saying that parts of the narrative are not realistic, are not to be taken literal, then does not that put us in the position where we are the ones to decide what is true and what is untrue? And that's why this position has received a great deal of criticism from both those on the conservative side as well as the liberal side. One individual, her name is Elizabeth Hanford. She critiques not only the writings of Francis Collins, but anyone who challenges the Christian beliefs rooted in the Bible arising from evolution. Listen to her argument. All of us need humility. I, you would agree, right? But listen to the type of humility she's arguing for. All of us need humility of mind and heart, admitting that we are fallen human beings without the capacity to understand all God is. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
quoting from Isaiah chapter 55. Then she goes on. True science and the Bible do not conflict. They cannot conflict. And this is why she says we need humility. We simply do not yet know enough science to discern the answers. Meanwhile, we can trust our great and holy God to teach us everything we need to know about this wonderful world. After all, he created it simply by his command. He sustains it. He knows how it all fits together. We can trust his infinite wisdom and goodness. So there is really no conflict, according to this first two ideas, between the Bible, evolution, our Christian beliefs. And if you can't seem to be able to make it all fit together, it's your fault because you have such an ego that you think you can fit it all together. And instead, you should just simply trust. Trust that the Bible is true and science will eventually catch up with it. I would like to offer you a third option for you to consider. And that is that we see the Bible as one of adapting. That the Bible really is in itself a lesson of how we as human beings are continuing to adapt to the world around us and our understanding of God and humanity and ourselves. Perfect example. Normally, this would be the time for me to tell you the difference between Genesis 1 and 2, that Genesis 1 came from a time during when the Israelites were in exile, and Genesis chapter 2 came from a time when there was the monarchy, but I'm not going to bore you with that. Instead, I want to offer you a little experiment. Something maybe that you could try this afternoon, later in the week. Open up your Bible and read the account of the flood story. And have a piece of paper, a notepad, your iPad that you can take notes on. And as you do, mark down the data, the facts of the story. And as you do so, you're going to discover something really remarkable. That the flood story is actually two stories. And if you really want to have fun, then find the times when the word God is used versus the word Lord in the English translations. 
In the original text, it was Yahweh and Elohim. And when you begin to separate the text based just on the names, all of a sudden you realize that you have two different creation, I mean, flood stories. But the writers, rather than giving you two different stories and saying, this one is right, this one is wrong, the writer actually takes those two stories and does this with them. And as, as Westerners, we don't like that. We want it black and white. We want to see that. The ancients were able to take these two stories and bring them together and say, ah, why? Because they adapted their stories based upon what was happening in the world around them. As they had new experiences, as they gained new knowledge, they adapted it. Another perfect example of this is in the book of Isaiah. And again, the, the evidence shows that Isaiah was written by three different people or three different groups of people. But rather than coming in and saying, ah, look at these idiots. Look what they wrote about God. Look what they wrote about our future. Man, they were all wrong. And instead of taking that scroll and throwing it away, they took that scroll and they honored it, they preserved it, and they added new insights. And then that happened a third time. Go to the New Testament, and you read the Gospels, you get four different stories, four different images of who God is, I mean, who Jesus is. And then Paul, well, Paul's a, he's unique all to himself. Why so much diversity? Because they were willing to adapt. And that is what we need today. As we learn more from science, from physics, from astronomy, astrology, from geology, psychology, biology, as we learn more, that information comes into play with our own personal experiences, and then we take the Bible. Now, some of you may be, argue, may, may be able to make the argument, well, why the Bible? Well, it's really quite simple. We choose to belong to the tradition called Christianity. That's our holy writing. So we, we don't ignore it. But we take it, and we read it, and then we read the evidence that's around us, and we bring them together. Sometimes it changes our perspective. Sometimes we read things in the Bible and say, you know, it worked for them, but today just doesn't work anymore. That idea about God, that idea about humanity, that idea about our world, not so much. Now again, there may be some people that would say, well, you don't believe. No. 
We're doing what the Bible has asked us to do. The Bible is supposed to be a living text that we interact with. So what happens? Let's be very honest. Evolution comes along, and as it comes along, it calls into question the idea of creation. And so, reading Genesis 1 and 2 is literal, gone. Uh, What about the idea of God as the ultimate creator and that God is controlling our world all the time? For some people, not all, that's another problem. So along comes and another piece, gone. For some people, the idea that the world is going to end and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, well, for them, it's gone. And then for some people, about the Bible itself, changing their view and their perspective, well, that comes along and... And it's at that moment, folks, it's at that very moment that you and I have to make a decision. See, if you believe the purpose of Jenga is to make sure that the structure always stands no matter what, you've missed out on the purpose of the game. That's what makes the game exciting, is there's always the possibility that it's going to fall down. And if you've played the game, you know what it feels like as someone goes in to grab a piece and begins to pull out, and you feel this energy, and it's, part of you is like, oh, yeah, 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 make it fall, I'll win, I'll win. And there's the other part of you go, oh, no, 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 we can't fall, it can't fall. And we feel this tension. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us in Christianity. We're afraid it's going to fall apart, that our beliefs will fall apart. But here's the beauty of the game. Now, with all the pieces fallen, we slowly start to build it again. And I guarantee you, that eventually other pieces will be pulled out and it may fall again. But guess what? You'll rebuild it. We are living in an exciting time in the history of Homo sapiens. Our knowledge is continuing to grow We know because we are so interconnected in the world, we know things instantly that the ancients never would even begin to have comprehended. So we adapt. Our views, our ideas, they change. It falls and we rebuild it. 
So for me, I'm excited about evolution because I've learned more about myself. I've learned more about humanity, our world, and yes, even God. May we have the courage to continue to move through life with eyes wide open and exploring what is before us. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.